The Y Curve with Phil Dobby and Roger Hearing. Bitcoin, Dogecoin, Ethereum, worth millions or worth nothing? We're now in a world where virtual tokens of value backed by no central banks or states can be used in major transactions. In some countries, they've even become the official medium of exchange. Welcome to the cryptocurrency universe. So why are they here? How do they have any value? And how can they fit into the financial system when what they are worth fluctuates wildly on a daily basis? What is the blockchain technology they're supposed to derive from? And what on earth is crypto mining? And most importantly, is it all a gigantic scam? That's our subject today on The Y Curve. Brought to you by Wigmore Associates. The Y Curve. Yeah, I love it when you do those introductions yes. because your voice goes so falsetto. I, it's, it's like I am with the Bee Gees. I know. And in many ways, similar talent, I think. <laughs> it just never quite happened for me. But anyway, what it has happened for is Bitcoin, etc., yes. in a big way. Why? Okay. You, I mean, you, you fancy why? yourself. Well, you fancy, that's all, that is the, that is the yes, question. You fancy why? yourself something of an economist. What on earth value <laughs> is there in something you create on a computer and spend? I mean, what, what sense does well, it make? Well, I don't think there is any value. I think there's, I, but I, I think, and you know, we're, We've got an expert who will give us their thoughts on it. I think you've got a, a mob of people who have this this belief that since we've gone down the, 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 the days of fiat currency rather than currencies locked to gold, and we know how that didn't work in the end. I mean, currency detached itself from the gold standard long before the decision was made that it was no longer applicable. I think those people are thinking, oh, there's too much money being printed. Money's got to be scarce. Therefore, we will create a scarce currency. The problem is someone else came along and said, well, we'll create another scarce currency. And then we've got thousands of supposedly scarce, scarce currencies. currencies tied to nothing at all. Now, they would say, well, you know, uh, fiat currencies are tied to nothing at all. But they, well, they they're backed by uh, the central, central bank, yeah. which and backed by the economy that, yeah. you know, that they are serving. Yes. Yes. Uh, so it's an entirely different kettle. Well, of these are I mean, we'll get in as you say into the detail but these are things created on a computer with a piece of code now there may be rarity in it um, mm. and, and we'll get on to what crypto mining is and what uh, bizarre thoughts but anyway um, using but, vast quantities of energy well, to exactly. do it but, yeah. but value right. at all yeah I, mean, I don't get it. I, I, to me, it just seems wrong in so many ways, and yet people do seem to jump on the bandwagon, and I do wonder whether, mm. and again, you know, we'll talk to our expert about this, but I wonder why uh, it shot up during the pandemic. And the only conclusion I can come to is too many people with too much time on ah, their hands. Now, there's much that can be attributed to that. Many things have gone <laughs> wildly wrong. <laughs> because we all were stuck Some in our relationships, house. potentially, all kinds yeah. of things. Well, we won't get into that. But no, yeah, mm. so there's an element of that. But it was there before. And, and the thing is, people are clearly giving it value by the fact that it has a certain traction. Mm. Um, and in the end, maybe that is the only basis for any currency, really. It's confidence, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Well, I wonder whether the people at Wigmore Associates, I wonder what they'd say about uh, cryptocurrencies. Well, well some major financial players have backed yeah. this and and, mm. uh, and gone into it in a big way and opened desks for it. Maybe they're just jumping on a bandwagon, which they see passing. But it goes up and it comes down. But anyway, mm. look, if you want a sensible evaluation of how you protect your wealth rather than seeing it frittered away in tax and unwise investments, which may include Bitcoin, then it is worth giving Wigmore Associates a call. They're a boutique wealth management company. They're based in London. They're close to Bond Street Tube, uh, where the people who run the company will work directly with you to develop the solutions you need to meet your objectives. It's not going to be given away to somebody else in a back room and you just don't know who's working on your money. The people running the company are doing that, uh, whether it's managing tax efficiency, investing spare cash or planning for your retirement or sorting 
checking out inheritance arrangements. Either, you know, someone you know has passed away or you're just wondering about what happens to your money after you go. So give them a call and see how they can help. Uh, tell them we sent you. Wigmore-associates.co.uk is their web address or you can give them a call on 0207-224-3400. Wigmore Associates. And they are very kindly supporting us on this podcast, which means mm. we are able to bring you... I very- did that, by the way, because you do it falsetto. Completely would lose its, its impact. You, you give it gravity. <laughs> gravity and gravitas. But yes, uh, yes, they are allowing us to talk about important subjects like cryptocurrencies, which is our subject today. And we have a very significant and important and eminent person to talk to us about that. That's Brian Lucy, professor at Trinity Business School, Trinity College, Dublin, also editor-in-chief of the International Review of Financial Analysis and the International Review of Economics and Finance. So, I mean, Brian, I have said on this podcast many times, I see it just as a bit of a Ponzi scheme. It, it is a, it's a scam. People who are putting money into something that is seen as being uh, short in supply and therefore they can drive the price up. Uh, uh, am I right or is there more to it than that? I think for cryptos, you're mostly correct. Um, the problem is this. There, there's a few things that cryptos have been proposed to be, averred to be. They've been suggested as being a medium of exchange, basically a replacement for money, usually fiat currency of some sort, a currency that's you know backed by the good faith of a government. Um, they've also been used extensively as an investment stroke speculative vehicle, uh, a store of value, hopefully, for people. So in that context, you've got to kind of, I think, distinguish a little bit between them. Um, if you think of the money aspect, then they have failed pretty miserably for a variety of reasons to be widely accepted as a money, as a way in which you can go off and buy a pizza or pay for your you know, electric vehicle. Or well, well, one part of that would just have to be the sheer value of it, wouldn't it? Because, I mean, Bitcoin now is about 14,000. So if you, if you ask for a pizza and it's worth 14,000 pounds, you get quite a bit of change from that. Sure. Um, but, you know, Bitcoins can be divided into Satoshis, you know, so th- that is an issue, but it's not necessarily the biggest issue. I mean, people you know, historically around the world have been quite easily using, you know, currencies in with numeraires in the thousands and tens of thousands. I mean, you know, I think all three of us are of an age to remember you might go to Turkey or, or to even Italy and you'd have several tens of thousands of sure. for your But we didn't have the huge fl- fluctuation though, did we? I mean, here we are worried about inflation of, t- of 10% now, but, you know, here we've got a currency that's gone from 3,000 up to 48,000 and then back down to 14,000. Let me get to that. I think you're absolutely correct that the volatility is a feature, not a bug. So as a money, it's been, it's, it's not, it's, it's not being used. It's quite interesting that a lot of the people who are very keen on cryptocurrency come from a very libertarian background, a very libertarian philosophy, which is perfectly fine. And of course, one of the big arguments libertarians will often use in many areas is, well, look, let people's preferences, let the market decide. And we've had a very interesting experiment in El Salvador where we've had opportunities to have the market choose between, do I want to use the currency of the country, a fiat currency, which happens to be the US dollar, uh, or do I want to use Bitcoin? And overwhelmingly, almost, you know, almost 100%, people have said, no, thank you. Thank you for my 
30 bucks of free Bitcoin, but I'm still going to continue to mm. use dollars. Oh, that's really interesting. So they've actually, they have voted with, not with their feet, with their whatever it is, wallets, I suppose, but there, it hasn't been a yeah, success. Yeah. But what, And what was the reasoning for that? Why did they want to do that in the first place? Because they were hacked off about being reliant on the dollar? Um, the, the president of El Salvador is, is very interesting, you know, quite a young chap, and he has um, he's been a self-proclaimed crypto bro for some time. And um, I think he thought this was a good idea and managed to persuade uh, everybody in government and governance to go along with, with having Bitcoin as a parallel currency. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you know, that gives people an opportunity and, and we've had instances of that. But what it did do was it, it had the paradoxical effect of helping people in El Salvador, not through the fact that they could now use Bitcoin and be liberated from the shackles of the global hegemony of imperialism, of the, of the jackboot, of the dollar, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But that in order to get access to $33, and you know, $33 is $33, and certainly that's a chunk of money in El Salvador, they had to have a mobile phone and uh, sign up for a government, basically government bank account. So what it's done is it's actually helped people in El Salvador who were previously unbanked to become more banked. Um, so rather than the idea of decentralized finance driving people away from traditional banking systems, it in fact has to some extent reinforced access to those. The volatility to which one of you averred um, earlier on is, is one of the major reasons. Combine that with the fact that the present infrastructure for Bitcoin in particular is one which is quite slow. Um, it could be weeks, sorry, that could be weeks, it could, it could be hours, if not days, before you get value transmitted from A to B. So you go off and you decide you want to buy a, a pizza. You're in El Salvador and you decide, I want to go out and buy a pizza for my lunch or you want to buy you know, a sandwich or whatever. You use your government wallet to pay whatever percentage of Bitcoin would be the appropriate price. Now, if you do that right now with, with you know, tap and go or with cash, with cash, the, the vendor has the money immediately in their, in their, in their wallet, in their, in their box, in their tin box, in their cashier. With a um, bank-based settlement system, they know that they're going to get that value in a couple of days. You've paid whatever, it's going to take a day or two to come through, but you know you're absolutely certainly going to get it. With Bitcoin, you pay X amount of Bitcoin now for a certain value. You don't know what that's going to be, except it's going to be quite possibly very different. You could win or you could lose very significantly. Right. So it's completely that is completely non-workable. Yeah, the, vol why, the volatility why, makes it why impossible. Why would anyone have ever thought that this was going to be? You know, why why would we have that argument that it could be used as a currency? This goes back to the the the, the issue you, you you popped up there provocatively, but I think importantly at the top of the uh, the segment, which is is it just a Ponzi scheme? Now the nature of Bitcoin is it is if you think of it from the perspective of, of a monetary economist, which I used to be way back in the nineteen eighties, uh, it's a commodity currency. It's something which is fixed. It's a bit like in the olden days when you had the gold standard. When you had the gold standard, you had a certain amount of that physically limited, perceived by people to be valuable thing backing your currency. Because of its scarcity. I mean, that's it. And, and, and these currencies scarcity are... Scarcity desirability, but yes. Uh, but it, but desirability it's, because people like shiny gold. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. For a lot of industry still, and still has a significant... Um, you know, adornment and even dental value. So gold has a, you know, gold has a quite a lot of uses. Plus, people like it. If it is a bubble, it's one that's lasted for five thousand years. So I think it's probably not going to go away in the next while. Gold is limited in supply. It's, um, you know, it, it it can be created anew, but it's, you know, it's expensive. It's difficult. Gold mines are some of the deepest, darkest 
most uh, dangerous places in the world to work. So it's going to have a value if only for that. So isn't it isn't it the case then that there were, that cryptocurrencies have emerged because people who you know used to like gold because of its because of its scarcity? No, they no, can- no, 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 no. There's very little overlap between uh, gold and cryptos. Cryptos <laughs> not new gold. Gold is not new cryptos. Yeah. You cannot stick a Bitcoin or an Ethereum or a Dogecoin into your tooth. You can't put it onto. It's a very different thing. But but isn't but isn't isn't the reasoning the same though? That people who are into crypto are there because they saw the scarcity in gold and they wanted to create something else that was scarce. I'm not sure that would be the case. To be honest, I think there's a genuine. I think there's a genuine thought experiment behind this as to whether or not you can create a new form of currency which is peer to peer and decentralized. If anything, I think this probably has its roots back in Napster. Napster? Yeah, think of what Napster was. Napster was the first widespread consumer-based, peer-to-peer, uh, internet-based activity. Mm. It was also highly illegal. <laughs> or the uses to which it was put was highly illegal. So Napster, Napster, for those people who don't remember that far back, was people sharing music, basically, wasn't it? Ill- illegal music or yeah, other files. It was pre-Pirate Bay and all that mm. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, we're all familiar with the idea of BitTorrents, etc. It's the same idea. It's the fact that with a global internet, you can have anything decentralized in principle. Question is, is it going to be fast enough and smooth enough to, to use? And if you, if, you, if you don't mind waiting for a couple of hours to download, you know, whatever it is, whether it be a pirated copy of Ant-Man Quantumania or, you know, a new package from, you know, a GitHub repository, that's fine. For transactions that require people to have certainty of value, it's it's more difficult. Now, there are little ways around that. There are better quality infrastructures, but they haven't as of yet been widespread rolled out. I think, I think we need to, just before we move on to, to the tool list, because I think, I think we've, we've gone a long way down this discussion without really, I think, defining what it is we're actually talking about. I mean, there'll be people listening to this say, well, what on earth actually is it? We, we, we say they exist. What ha- what is a Bitcoin? What is a Dogecoin? What is a, an so Ethereum? A cryptocurrency is very simply a electronic token. Let's think of it like that. And you create Bitcoin coins or other such cryptocurrencies by your computer decrypting puzzles. Think of it like that. So your computer has to basically solve a numerical equation. If you are the first person in the world uh, within this system who uh, solves this puzzle, then you get the new thing, the new Bitcoin. And that's worth, you know, 30. So it's a reward for solving a puzzle, essentially. And of course... And, but who sets the puzzle? Is that, is that something is that... The puzzle is set uh, by the system. It, it, this is one of the beauties of it, that the puzzle is set by the initial um, algorithm that, that creates Bitcoin or whatever. So the puzzle is designed to get harder and harder each time. So it becomes more and more difficult to um, mine out Bitcoin. And there are only 21 million Bitcoins ever going to be available to be created. So the first few are easy enough to solve, you know, two plus two or four. But now it's, you know, immensely complex. And the system- How many are we up to now then? Do you know, if there's 21 million in total, how many have been discovered so far? About 18 million. Oh, not far off the limit. But don't forget, guys, it gets exponentially more difficult each time. And, you know, probably the the 21 millionth might be impossible almost to to develop. And and it's solved by you find a computer with enough computing power to solve it. That's that's, that's the hard bit. Basically, yes. Which is why there's been this huge demand for high-end computer rigs. This is one of the problems with a lot of these systems. Um, Not all cryptocurrencies are energy hogs. Others are designed in different ways. But Bitcoin is the big one. And it's the one from which most of the market takes its lead. 
So there's an ethical question here. I mean, there's a million and one questions. You, 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 you can probably <laughs> We've tell actually by my tone that I'm quite dismissive of it. But I mean, on the ethical side, the idea that people are using power to create something which is entirely artificial, uh, for which we know it's, it's not suitable as a trading currency. It really is there just to uh, add to the wealth of people who invest in it. I mean, there's something very ethically corrupt about all of that, isn't there? Well, there's, I mean, there, there's, there, there's an ethical question as to whether or not the power could be used for other activities? And the answer is certainly yes, it could be. I mean, uh, Bitcoin mining, bit, it's hard to say that, Bitcoin mining, um, you know, depending on who you ask on what day of the week, the last estimate I saw uh, from a Cambridge researcher just literally last week was, well, Bitcoin uses about the power of Sweden. So if you go to Bitcoin, you save about the same electricity power as if you go to Sweden. Now, personally, I think, you know, I'd rather have Sweden than I'd rather have Bitcoin. Yes. Yes. And who pays for the power that produces that? I mean, that's. I mean, if if the three of us decide to go out and and, and set up a, you know, a whole bunch of servers, like a server farm or a data farm, we've got to go and buy those equipment, you know, pay for them, pay for people to mine them, you know, pay for the power that goes into it. So, of course, there's a huge diversion of resources at the start going into high end computers. And as you know, the more intensively you use these pieces of electronic equipment, the more rapidly they end up wearing out. So Bitcoin produces as much electronic waste, basically burned out motherboards and few GPUs, as does the entirety of Holland in a year. So, and the, this, the idea that it's got value, mm. the, the only value it, it comes back, I know I'm, I'm harboring the point about uh, scarcity, but that's the only value it's got, isn't it? And then well, the, the fact... Value- the, the value that any currency has is made up of two things. One is scarcity value, and the other is utility value. Yeah. No scarcity of, of, there's no scarcity of pictures of dead presidents or pictures of bridges or pictures of you know, famous persons in the Victorian age. You know, the, the, the central banks of those countries can create those as many as they want. Now, that can cause problems with inflation, etc. We're never going to run out of dollars, sterling, yen, euros, rubles, etc., and they're sort of self-equalizing in a way, aren't they? they well, I mean, yeah. aside from the volume of it, it's a, it's a it's zero-sum game. So if the dollar goes no, up, no, no, the pound no, no, goes no. down. Just wait, wait, wait. Um, so there's no issue of scarcity there. So where did the value come from, from dollars and sterlings and yens, etc., when we don't have uh, gold backing it? It comes from the fact that you can use it. You can go into a shop and either electronically through a tap card or physically, you can buy something with it. You can buy a bottle of water. You can buy a house. The problem with Bitcoin is that while there's certainly a scarcity value, and anything scarce will have some value, you know, there's always going to be somebody who wants to collect something, that's fine. It's not terribly useful right now as a, the use case for it as a currency. You can't pay taxes in it. It's difficult to transmit over the systems they have. So as a currency, it don't work. As a store of value, as a method of investing, it might have something to, to say because you know, people will always have a need for highly speculative assets in their portfolios. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, having highly speculative, highly volatile assets you know, is fine. There's a, there's, there's, a, there's a perfectly good case for those in any investment, balanced investment scenario. But it's not going to be the same size of case as there is for investing in Swiss francs or investing in, you know, uh, Rathion or investing in, you know, a water company. But it's certainly been suggested that, that it, I mean, I've heard it suggested that it could be the new gold or the new, uh, w- one of these things that is said to have inherent value and the value of gold, as we know, goes up and down, but overall it doesn't disappear. 
Yeah, no. And even if gold, even if nobody wanted to use gold as a kind of a monetary instrument, even if its price fell to one tenth of what it was, you know, then you'd call it silver because it would be more yeah. aligned to the industrial uses. And it would still fluctuate away. And, you know, people make lots of money and people have great uses for silver and lead and all mm. these kind of relatively unsexy metals. Bitcoins and Dogecoins and Ethereums, etc., running on the blockchain and we haven't even talked about the blockchain and we won't <laughs> well that was that was something we were going to come on is but yes it doesn't have that safe haven element that you're saying no, because it, 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 it sounds like what you are saying it though is that there's a case for it in that it it, it is another uh, instrument that can be used by by investors to sort of balance a portfolio if you're looking for an element of high risk or whatever but i mean surely there's so many financial instruments already available ones that don't use up the uh, the energy of sweden to exist i mean sh- do we need anything else surely there's enough volatility you know there's one thing financial markets don't need surely is more volatility if you want to go looking for it you'll find it without touching into uh, into crypto i i i think that then you get into a value judgment about you know when do we have enough financial instruments and, and that's a fascinating discussion a long time ago <laughs> but the point is that if you accept that you allow people to create new financial instruments um and, and as i say there's a there's a discussion to be had then there's nothing wrong with this. But let's not overhype it. It's, you know, it's always and ever in that context going to be a small part of the total asset mix around the world. It, it, uh, it's what people put into it. It's what people assume it to be. I, I think, you know, this sense of restricting the number of, of instruments. In the end, the market will produce the value that it requires. So people will want for whatever reason, Bitcoin, fine, they will put money into it. They know the risks, they take the risks. And that's, in my view, at least, not a difficult part of the financial it's system. About, it's about a trillion pounds, I read somewhere. If you, there's 23,000 different cryptocurrencies. And about- crypto winter has wiped a lot of that out. There is another problem with cryptos, mm. with cryptocurrencies, which is that the very nature of their decentralization means that they are more easily used for illegal transactions for scams than is the mm. case with an equivalent amount of non-cryptocurrency. Um, that is just inherently the nature of us. And it certainly attracts some very dodgy, I mean, the FTX exchange collapse is one element of something where people say that you know, the, the very, there's a kind of inherent criminality, perhaps, in some of what goes on, and it certainly attracts those sort of well, people. Well, you said it came out of Napster, which itself, of course, was in a leak. No, 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 I didn't. No, 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 I said, I, I think the inspiration Yeah, sure. Is yeah, I know I'm not saying it emerged as a... a yeah, but it was a but it, it was inspired by, uh, which, yeah. it, which itself was an illegal activity, of course. Well, I think the use to which Napster was put, I mean, the peer-to-peer stuff is fine. As I say, it's it's not the case that everybody who uses or touches, you know, Bitcoin and whatever is, you know, a dodgy criminal on the dark web selling, you know, harvested children's organs. Uh, that's not the case. But if you were going to do that, then you'd use Bitcoin. You know, that's the reality. I mean, every, you know, this is why when you have ransomware, they don't ask for, you know, here's my IBAN. They, they ask you to transfer you know, uh, Bitcoin or whatever to a wallet. Now, there the exchanges need to be looked at. And you mentioned FTX, but there are other big exchanges. And there's quite a bit of research being done on the extent to which these, first of all, the extent to which you can identify through the footprints or fingerprints of transactions, scams, which are likely to be actual scams versus unfortunate trades, or criminality, and the extent to which these are detectable means that if it was a bank, you know, know your customer would immediately come into play. 
This isn't yeah. the case with, with crypto. Because it's unregulated, but that yeah. is the very, very nature of its existence in the first place. Libertarian nature of it. Yeah. Uh, right. But, uh, but if it became so popular, uh, it would be banned, wouldn't it? Well, for that, for that very reason. Where, where, where we're going to, to another discussion, which is about, you know, then if it becomes a threat or a success, depending on how you want to look at it, to fiat currencies, then it will be regulated and its attractiveness will therefore disappear almost entirely. Now, this is also perhaps the fact that a lot of young people who are more digitally native, more savvy, more prone to taking risks, uh, are attracted or have been historically attracted to holding bitcoins, etc. Means that I think central banks have realized there is an appetite out there, in, in, along with the you know generalized move away from cash towards a more cashless society for a central bank digital currency, which are not cryptocurrencies, but they share some similarities at the surface level. What is this? Is the similarity the same nature of, of you know, solving equations or whatever to create them? Is is that part it's, of it? it? The similarity is that they're digital. They'd be done through digital wallets, etc. Yeah. And much of the surface look would be similar. But the, the bottom line is that a central, a, a digital pound sterling would be in almost every respect at a retail level and probably at a wholesale level uh, the same as a pound sterling right now. Yeah, you wouldn't have, as Roger seemed to be suggesting, you wouldn't have a central bank saying, hey, let's limit the amount of currency that's available because they're very good at yeah, doing, they doing, the, last thing doing they want. the opposite. Exactly. Yeah. So, but um, just on the uh, getting back to the value then. Sure. Um, so Bitcoin went from, just before we started talking to you, I, I was uh, theorizing that the reason why Bitcoin went from about 3,000 in 2019, 3,000 pounds to 48,000 in 2021 uh, was because... Uh, we were all locked in our houses and we had nothing else to do. So we thought we'd start playing with stuff and uh, we, we got onto Bitcoin and that shot it up in value. I mean, that's, is that a fair call that there's a bit of a, you know. The other part to remember, though, guys, is that um, we've been in a very anomalous situation. We, as in the broad global economic society, for about the last 10 years, we've had interest rates at historically abnormally low levels. And to some extent, uh, suppressed inflation that has changed, and the consequence of that is that if you are also pushing a wall of money out of central banks to try and prop up the economy, which was appropriate during the global financial crisis, was then only very slowly being wound down. Then COVID comes along and it all accelerates again. Again, an appropriate response, but all this money's got to go somewhere. And if you can't go into retail spending, it's going to go into saving, and then eventually it's going to go into asset accumulation. And is that going to rise up houses? Is that going to rise up in uh, stock markets? At the margin, it's going to, in the search for, for, for yield, uh, it's going to go into the most speculative asset classes. And that's the Bitcoins of the world and yield farming and all this kind of mad stuff. Guaranteed 14% return, no risk. I mean, you've got to look at that and wonder, really? If there's no risk, how can we get such a high return? Well, that's where it begins to sound like a scam, isn't it? It's, it's, well, it, the risk is it came crashing down afterwards, yeah. and yet you know, and at the time when we we were seeing interest rates going going up, uh, it was coming down in value, and yet everyone was told that this was going to be a hedge against inflation. It didn't work out that way. No, I mean, it, it, Bitcoin has not been proven to be a hedge against inflation. I, I think at the moment we don't quite know. I mean, it was interesting this morning. I was listening to the the morning news on uh, RTE radio and. I think UK inflation is running at a, now running at an annualized about ten point five percent. Yes, it's just over ten, which uh, is our, the our rate is running at about five point five percent. And yeah. this kind of divergences also cause, and if that's you know, and that is to some extent being repeated, repeated 
across the eurozone. Um, now you can argue, you can argue, you know, what the ECB should or shouldn't do, etc. But you're seeing quite a divergence between the main central banks and how they are dealing with bringing inflation down very rapidly. Um, the US is dealing with it as it often has done through rapid rapid economic growth. Um, the Bank of England seems to be sitting by, kind of wondering slightly what happened. Uh, <laughs> that's for sure. O- often but, does that. <laughs> but I mean, th- but I mean, that's a case of you know, a case of if we had a lot of money tied up in in cryptocurrencies, the ability for central banks to do anything at all would be rapidly diminished, which would be another reason why they'd be saying, "Hey, look, we can't have this." Because yeah. I mean, they they want to be able to control that money we, supply. We, we, we had that in some extent back, you know, in the eras of the uh, the gold standard. And if if you mm. take away an instrument, you know, the instrument of uh, you know monetary based controls from a central bank. Then you have to have other ins- other parts of the economy are going to have to take up the adjustment slack, and that is the real economy. Um, so, you know, these have th- th- these issues tended to get poo-pooed uh, to some extent because it was shiny and new, and many of the people who were dealing with cryptos were not from an economics background. And one of the things you find as you you know as as you reach towards your late fifties is that. We've seen many of these kinds of things before. I mean, the global economy goes in cycles. That's the nature of it. And there's very little that's new. The way in which the crisis come dressed up is often very new. But when you step back, you realize, no, we've seen this before. We have two kids to deal with it. We may politically more or less acceptable now, but... You know, the toolkits are there, and they're they're applied at a local level, though, aren't they? I mean, whereas what we're talking about is the the rise of currencies which are international. Yes, currencies. And, and there would need to be international regulation if there were to be then regulation. That's ne- then that's never going to happen. So that, hence the if it became you know if it became popular, it would be banned, wouldn't it? Because it w- removes your ability to have any yeah. control over your local economy. Yeah. So that, yeah. That, We've got all this way without mentioning, well, we have mentioned blockchain. We haven't explained what it is as the way, as part of the mechanism for this, because that is actually part of what we're talking about in this, the, the suggestion that there is security in uh, cryptocurrencies because of the blockchain mechanism. I mean, just for, for dummies like me, what is blockchain? Uh, blockchains are just ledgers. Again, blockchain is not new. A blockchain is basically a write once, never erase ledger. We had those with floppy disks back in the 1980s. You know, it's, it's, it's basically a situation where um, the transaction or the action is recorded on the computer and it can't really be unrecorded. So you, the idea is that you have a definitive statement of fact that this happened, this transaction happened, this smart contract was, 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 was dealt with, this piece of kit was shipped. You can do, use blockchain for lots of different things, but that's equivalent to having a magic ledger, you know, maybe you got it in Diagon Alley or somewhere, and you can write into it. You can never erase it because it's a, in, in reality, it's a whole linked series of computers that keep this recorded. Exactly, and there's a things called proof of consensus, etc. The idea of blockchain is 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 a smart way of ensuring that people can track what's happening. But in the context of cryptocurrencies, um, they run on the blockchain, as it were. Uh, in other words, the transactions are on this blockchain, which means that everybody can see what's happening. So you can go and find out what's happening on the Bitcoin blockchain. You know, there's lots of publicly available explorers. The entirety of the data is there. The best place to go if you really want to look for that is Cardiff University Business School have a fantastic blockchain explorer, and they're really, really, really good tools to investigate. What you don't have is you don't know who's doing what because it's 
an alphanumeric string. So that's the anonymity. But the blockchain itself is a perfectly reasonable set of bookkeeping exercises. So you could say, I have this much Bitcoin and I can prove it yeah. in, a, in, in the ledger, which will continue to be there. Right. But if that's true, and that gives, I guess, an element of security to whoever possesses this, how come there have been so many cases where people's online wallets or whatever it is disappeared, it's been taken away, it's been pilfered, whatever's happened? Yeah, when, when people say they've lost their, lost their desktop computer and they've lost yeah. all the money in it, why can't they just claim it back? Well, they can't claim it back because they can't prove they are who they say they are because they've lost, right. their, they've lost their keys, basically. But but the actual thing, if you possess it and you have the key, in theory, it can't be actually just stolen from Precisely. You. But, you know, how many times have you had computers crash? How many times have you forgotten passwords? You know, this is the nature of the, the human being. Um, you, you have people, you know, criminals. You know, we had one famous case, an Irish criminal. And he had his, um, his, his keys on, his, his blockchain keys, proof that he owned that part of the blockchain on a USB stick, which was hidden in a set of fishing rods and in a keeper out of the house, you can see what happened. So if we if we know if there's somewhere in Cardiff University, it seems like a good place to start a, a record of all of those transactions, uh, and we can't identify who they are, but presumably we could we could identify a, an alphanumeric uh, as having had a number of different transactions. Surely we'd be able to tell uh, from that through you know the use of algorithms what looks like suspicious activity. Oh, one hundred thousand percent. And, Is um, anyone doing that to try and find it? Because there's not a lot of vested interest for those people who are operating in this game to, to, to identify you know, that. Uh, researchers in uh, the ICMA Centre in, in Reading and the Urquhart and in, um, in Cardiff, Hossein Johansalu have a very interesting paper, which they're you know, spreading around the, um, the conference circuit on anti-money laundering, issues around things to do with identifying scams, etc., on the blockchain using the Cardiff University Blockchain Explorer. And are they finding there's a lot of it going on? They certainly are. I think they would be a really interesting, and once that paper gets into a public form, I think that would be a really interesting talk to have. So, yeah, yeah. so given the, the, the knowledge that we have, that there's a lot of dodgy stuff going on around this, and we know that it's effectively out of control and potentially is going to be very hard to control. Yeah, what, what do we do about it? Well, and do you see it coming to a bit of an end, which it sounds like in a way there's a limit, as we know, to the number of Bitcoin anyway. But is there a point where the central banks of the major powers of the world say, hang on a second, let's just kill this? Or, or is there a way that the halfway house where they can say, well, this does need some regulation, clearly? I think it's. I, I think the nature of regulation to some of the more extreme Bitcoin markets is a little bit like saying, you know, you're a little bit pregnant or the vampire got a little bit of sunlight. It, it really, really wouldn't last. Um, I also think that there's a quite a bit of evidence floating around that the government tax people, particularly the IRS are, and, and the Securities and Exchange Commission, are pretty good at, at, at making very educated guesses about the kind of people who have been engaging in some large, bits, large crypto transactions. Um, I think the anonymity which Bitcoin claims to have is probably at the retail level, yes, it's there. If you want to go onto the dark web and buy something slightly dodgy, probably you won't be caught. You might be caught getting it through the post, but that's a different story. At the, at the big level, you know, I, I think the regulators 
uh, you know, they're they're on this. They know they know what they want to do. And, they, and the money's got to come out somewhere, though, as well, isn't it? So if you if you put money into crypto, you do something dodgy. You've got to get it back into a way you can spend it. So this is the problem with that that you have is that you've got this kind of semi closed system. And you, the three of us, are busy doing our things. You know, bitcoining away. All, that's great. We're we're all happy with that. But out in the wider world, we want to you know sort of go out and buy our third Maserati or you know whatever it is. Um, in my case, my first. <laughs> Really? That's You're only on your first one? Yeah. Well, it's it's tough to in academia, you know. It's shocking. <laughs> shocking. Um, but um, when, you, when you want to do that, then you've got to translate it into a currency you can use, euros, sterling, dollar. And that's when the eye of Sauron, you know, begins to swivel in your direction, because effectively the only way to do that right now is to convert your cryptos into what's called a stable coin. And the big stable coin is Tether. Uh, Tether is linked pretty much one-to-one to the US dollar, at least so it's claimed. And, and empirically, it is very, very stable, you know, at very little fluctuations against the US dollar. Now you've got, uh, now instead of having, you know, 500,000 uh, worth of uh, crypto, you've got 500,000 worth of Tether. You can then immediately withdraw that in dollars, which is great. And then, you know, the... Uh, the Fed go, and you got these dollars where? Yes. Yeah. The classic money laundering operation right. kicks in right. at that point. So one, one final question, then, very quickly, because we are running out of time. Uh, well, in fact, we ran out of time 10 minutes ago. Would this have emerged, and would there be, how much of this is sort of like anti-US power, US dollar, and how would it have emerged if, uh, you know, way back when, uh, Keynes's idea that we had a bank or that we had a, you know, a, a global uh, reserve currency that wasn't the dollar that everyone yeah. interacted yeah. with if we'd had that would this have emerged i don't think it would have emerged as much and um you know you're delving right, right deep into uh, modern uh, international financial infrastructures there i mean there have been the occasional mutterings about global reserve currencies we have a global reserve currency for better or worse it's the us dollar the others the euro sterling the yen uh the renminbi are Global reserve currencies, but of a second of a second of second resort, for a variety of reasons. Um, whether we like it or not, and and I don't think it's good for anybody particularly. Um, I think we'd, we'd be better off if we had you know several competing global stable reserve currencies. But for like it or not, we have the U.S. dollar right now. Therefore, if you want to get your if you, if you want to get your cryptos into dollars, you're ultimately dealing in dollars. Yeah, yeah. All right. Final question, very quickly. Then has he's very it, good at final questions. He's into crypto time now. <laughs> is it has it gone as far as it's going to go? Are we? Is it there? Sort of like as a sideline, uh, very volatile, uh, yeah. sort of almost like a hobby. Yeah, for kind some of people. amusement rather than serious uh, financial. Um, yeah. Or is it going to expand? I would think I, I would be rather bearish in terms of you know where this will go. Now, again, one of the interesting points that, that isn't often made is that there's... So we're through Sweden and we're starting to use the power supply of Norway now, then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, yeah, exactly, with the hydro. But there's a huge amount of research on crypto centered in the UK, um, and, and, and it doesn't get enough play as a source of research strength. I mean, so I'm going to refer here now, I've referred to people in Cardiff, in Reading. Uh, let me go down to Southampton, where you've got Larissa Yarabaya, and she gave a keynote at a conference last week in Belgium, which I was at. And she was more bullish about the, the case, not the case for crypto in terms of like, you know, go crypto, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
but its likelihood of lasting as a ecosystem into the future. So maybe we'll leave it with teeing up, you know, talk to Larissa about where's the future of crypto. Mm. But, but, but she thinks it does have one, um, More but than not, I think. But not yeah. a dominant. I mean, the, the point is, it's, I'm not it is where it is. Yeah. No, I'm not aware of anybody who's, you know, barred the wilder shores, you know, of Twitter or whatever, Elon calling it at any given moment, um, yeah. who's going like, yeah, Ray, 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 you know, crypto for the future. Well, those those people who've you know talked to me about yeah getting to crypto are the people who seem to have crypto, and I can't help feeling a bit that's of self-interest. That to be there. the way it works. Well, yeah. we've certainly explored the wilder shores of possibility, but um, yeah, but thank you for taking us back to the safe ground of saying basically it isn't going to be dominant or, or uh, taking over at all. But it's interesting. But I think those three uh, those, those, those those three people, you know, who are mm. they're publishing vast amounts. They're well respected in the industry. They've got different perspectives. There would be an interesting, you could have an interesting conversation with them. Right. We'll, delve, with we'll delve into it again. We've had a very interesting conversation with you. So right. thank you. Thanks for your time, Brian. Happy to help. <laughs> well, there we are. There uh, he, we are. Was, uh, he was fun, actually. He, he, was, he was good fun, but very yeah. I'm illuminating. And I, I think I understand more now, at least. Um, mm. not, not sure I'm going to put all my vast amounts of wealth no, into um, that's Dogecoin right. immediately. And, and, you know, how sad that, uh, you know, as a university professor, he's having to stick with Mercedes before he can get onto his Maserati. <sighs> Dread, so, dreadful, yeah. dreadful situation. So next week, uh, look, it's been raining forever mm. in mm. the UK. And it doesn't seem to stop, but still, you water, know, water, water everywhere, nor any drop to swim in because it's all disgusting. Yeah, yeah. well, it's either, I mean, there's leaks still everywhere, yeah, sewage, we, raw sewage being poured into our rivers, and we, which we're paying for, yeah, uh, and, and uh, paying for the cleanup, and yeah. yet we're also paying these astronomical fees yep. to the privatized water company, which doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. Mm. And uh, we want to get to the bottom of this is it, is it that we don't have enough water because we certainly seem to be filling our reservoirs pretty quickly, and is there simple incompetence at the basis of the fact that they seem to be messing around with sewage in places where it shouldn't be or is it that we just have an antiquated structure that we can't make work uh, and you know a question you'd expect a neo-socialist to ask uh, is it because it's all been privatised and uh, uh, it should be back in government hands and yes. everything would be so much better then Corbynism is alive and well here <laughs> and we will be bringing it to you or at least we're bringing the water to you uh, next week on The Wycove yeah so be sure to turn us on brought the to you by Wigmore Associates. Associates see you then the why curve.